You're listening to Real Birth Stories, the podcast where we hear unique and fascinating birth stories straight from the mother's mouth. Real Birth Stories is brought to you by Butterbean, the online platform for parents and parents-to-be. If you'd like to find out more, then head to butterbean.uk or follow us on Instagram or Facebook under the name butterbean.uk. She was there and she came out and she was beautiful, healthy. And then my placenta splattered on the floor. I went to bed and I was feeling a bit sick and then I started having some contractions. Because how you're meant to feel and how, what you're meant to do and all those other things, there's such a prevailing narrative out there. And I think it's very difficult to not subscribe to that. <laughs> I'd learned that like you can move and I was like, moosh, moo. It was a whole scene and none of the roads had been plowed because it was the middle of the like 4 5 a.m. at this point. But for me, it went pop. It was like wetting myself. It was like I sat there and then it came out of completely out of nowhere. It's like a balloon burst inside me. Hello and welcome to Real Birth Stories with me, your host, Lucy. And me, your other host, Scarlett. This week, we have Vicky on the podcast. Vicky has two children, Elsie and May, who are quite sprightly. <laughs> How old are they now, Vicky? They're four and five. Okay, great. Thanks for filling that in. Yep. So they live in Watford and Vicky is a heartbeats imaginator when she's not being a full-time mum, which means she dresses up in completely crazy costumes and prances around entertaining babies. Love it. But we are here to talk about Vicky's story of birth with both Elsie and May. So how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Yeah, I'm good. I've just done a rehearsal. I took both my sprightly children along with me. They created Havoc. No, they were good, actually. I think Elsie knows the script better than me. So, yeah, all good. What's the show? Children of Eden. It's on in Ryslip in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Well, you've just done an advert there, haven't you? I know, that's it. That's what I'm here for. Joking. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But no, I'm good. Cool, apart from being a bit sick. So thanks for coming and doing this anyway. Oh, pleasure. It's fine excited great so let's start with pregnancy so when was your first pregnancy and how was it Elsie my first pregnancy was well six years ago Elsie's going to be six in a few weeks time and I was 30 and it was good I felt very nauseous for the first few weeks but otherwise it was really good until I got to the end few weeks and I was measuring big and I went to have a private scan because I know that I was a big, I'm, I say big baby, I was eight pounds. But my mum really struggled with her labour to get me out and went through about 30 hours of labour before then having a C-section. And I didn't want to go through the same thing. I thought, how soul destroying to go through that many hours of agony to then have a C-section. So I went for a private scan just to see how big she was and she measured basically off the charts and I think I was about 34 weeks then. So then they said book an appointment with the sonographers at the hospital and get a scan there and the sonographer was literally like, yeah, your baby's going to be born having hip puberty. 
she's going to be able to drive you home. You're giving birth to like an adult. And it just did not really fill me with a great sense of security. She was just blown away by how big she was measuring. And first time round, I was a bit anxious. I think I went to that scan by myself as well. So I was pretty anxious about that. Yeah. Then because she was big, I think I got referred to have another glucose tolerance test. Can I ask what that is? Yeah. So basically, they test your blood sugar levels to check whether you might have gestational diabetes, which you would normally get tested for, I think, if you are overweight or if you've got a history of diabetes in your family or if you have like a big baby which in this case I did so you have to have a blood test then they give you the most sugariest disgusting drink and then you go for another blood test to see how your body's coped with the sugar but the test was like inconclusive so they just decided that I had it so then I had to do like pinprick tests three times a day after I'd eaten. God. Wait, hang on. Yeah. They didn't diagnose gestational diabetes. They just assumed you did. Basically. Yeah. And they told you you were having basically a toddler, which doesn't fill you with lots of confidence around getting that baby out. Not really. No. Oh, that's terrible. Terrible. And I was very determined to have a natural birth. Having known what I know now. I would not be so determined to have a natural birth. So I had these pinprick tests like three times a day and it spikes even if you've had something perhaps you think is relatively healthy, like brown bread or cereal, but that spikes your blood sugar levels. So, I mean, up until then, I had been eating a lot of ice cream, chocolate. I put on, I did put on about four stone. Um, but it just surprised me that the healthy food still had an effect. And I thought, I'm like 36 weeks along. What difference really is it going to make at this late stage? But anyway, went along with that. Then, nearer the time, I was told by a doctor, oh, you don't have diabetes. Oh, it was very complicated. Like, I didn't have diabetes, did I? Either way, they offered me a C-section and I said, no, I really want to give birth naturally. I want to go through that. I want to experience that. So they said, if you haven't got into labour by your due date, we will induce you because we don't really want to leave her cooking in there any longer. I didn't know it was a girl at that point. And I went for my induction, and what happened? Nothing happened. That's what happened. Nothing. My induction did not work. I think I had a couple of pessaries, something else. And then they come around and check you every three hours, have a little rummage round. <laughs> nothing had happened so they said I could go home and so I went home had a Nando's nice and then I got dropped back that night yeah beautiful <laughs> and then I went to bed and I was feeling a bit sick and then I started having some contractions also I had done hypnobirthing so I spent quite a lot of money on hypnobirthing and was very determined that my birth plan would be like very serene a pool candles music obviously none of that happened so I'd gone into labour and it was overnight and then my waters broke a little bit so like a little bit of water came out so I told a midwife and she was like oh if your waters have broke then you can't have your c-section that I had then been booked in for because the induction had worked so 
I might have missed that bit out. So I got booked in for my C-section and I was then geared up towards that. I think you give up on the idea of a natural birth and you get your mindset into, right, okay, I'm having a C-section, not giving birth naturally. So I think once my mind was on that, I then didn't really want to give birth naturally. But then I told the midwife that my waters had broke. She was like, well, you can't have your C-section now. We're going to go for a natural labour. So I tried to backtrack and tell her that I had just weed myself a bit. It's like, no, it's not. My waters haven't broken. It was just wee. <laughs> just a trickle. She was like, was it? It was just a dribble. Anyway. Did she believe you, Vicky? <laughs> no. No, obviously no. I just pissed myself. Sorry, I got confused. It happens all the time. It's a bit of piss. I think you get to that point where, like, you'd rather tell people that the truth so anyway after all that I went for my c-section it was the day after I would have been due and it was a very relaxing experience it was not the water birth I'd imagined because I'd gone into labor I was having contractions I did get to use a bit of my hypnobirthing to get through those and then I had my epidural and we had music playing I was singing along and then they lifted out the baby like Simba. I was like, oh, wow, it's a girl. And then that was it. Elsie was here. My husband made an awful error of, so when you have a C-section, although you can't cut the baby's cord, they let you like snip a bit off the end to say that you've done it. So he went over and did that and he turned around and looked at me with (laughs) my guts out. Oh, no, oh, Anthony. No. Yeah, why would you do that? Why? Anyway, he has to live with that image, not me. So, I mean, we went on to have a second child, so it kind of put him off that much. Woo-hoo. <laughs> what was his reaction? He was just a bit like, oh, I just turned around. And had a little, he did look a bit, <laughs> bit thrown. So Elsie was big, but she wasn't that big. Like, they made out she, I was going to have like a 12-pounder, and she was £9.12. And she did have a 13 centimetre size head. So I wouldn't really wanted to push that. Wow. So mm. that's that. There you go. She was just extra. Do you know what I mean? She was just extra. But then with the risk of a C-section, so if a baby's born naturally through the birth canal, they have their fluid squeezed out of their lungs through that canal. Because that didn't happen to Elsie, she had to go to special care straight away and be put on oxygen to get her oxygen levels up because her lungs were full of fluid so she was so that was a bit scary she was there overnight but that's such a shame you know with c-sections they can squeeze the lungs you know have you had a gentle c-section sounds like you had a little bit of a gentle c-section with having music played and kind of your hypnobirthing included but yeah essentially they can implement aspects of a vaginal birth and the benefits a baby gets from a vaginal birth, they can implement it with a C-section, If you, re- but you have to request it. And you'd think that it would be better to just do it and not end up with a baby in special care because they essentially, they make the cut and they draw the baby out really slowly so their lungs are squeezed. My experience with theatre was it was very bish, bash, bosh, get it done. Yeah. Get you through. I just don't think you would necessarily know that. You just trust no. the doctors, don't you? You just think, well... You know what you're doing. And after that point, you don't want to risk it. You just do what you need to do. If she can't breathe, then... But yeah, in hindsight, if I'd known that was a thing, then I, I might have requested it. Whether or not they did it and it didn't work, I don't know. I know that she did need quite a lot of oxygen. Mm. So yeah, that was that. Wow. So she came out at £9. 
But how big when they said she was off the charts? What did they say she was going to be? Oh, like twelve and a half pound. That's quite a difference to what she actually was. Yeah, and both the the private scan and the hospital scan were quite similar. And I know they're always off, but you never know how much they're off by. And you start to think, well, what if they're not off? And yeah. Mm, a lot of unknowns. Yeah. Okay, so that's Elsie. Tick, done. But you've yeah. obviously got a second child. So what happened with May? Was it any different? So May, I wouldn't say she was problematic, but I had a risk of her, you know, you have that test that tells you whether you're at risk of like Down syndrome. So I had that with her and it wouldn't have changed anything. But I did want to know to prepare myself as to whether I might have a baby with Down syndrome. So I was at high risk. So I had a blood test quite early on. And when I say problematic, I mean, she was never in the right position. She was just a little madam. And with the birth, when you've had a C-section, they really do put quite a lot of pressure on at first for you to then have a vaginal birth. So I went to, it's called a VBAC course. Which is? So vaginal birth after cesarean. Yeah. Um, went to that. They do push it quite heavily, which I think, is also because C-sections cost a lot of money. They don't want people opting for C-sections when vaginal births are much cheaper. Whereas in America, the C-section rate is much higher because it's done on insurance and they make more money out of doing C-sections for insurance. For, yeah, There's another reason as well. You can only have three C-sections in lifetime. I do know people that have had more, but yeah. Right. So I saw a consultant with May and they said, Three out of four people could deliver birth naturally after having a C-section. You're the one that can't, so you're not going to deliver naturally. Why? Because I had too much fluid with me, so I think you meant to have about half a litre of amniotic fluid. I had two and a half litres. Oh, wow. And she was bigger than Elsie. And it was the risk with Elsie as well. If you have got too much water, if you're going to labour naturally, the water literally gushes. And their head gets stuck and then you have to potentially have their shoulder dislocated to get them out. They literally break, like dislocate the baby's shoulder while they're still inside you to pull them out. So it's quite a traumatic idea. The thing about amniotic fluid is really, it's amazing really, because I didn't know this until recently that there's such a fine balance between too little and too much. And it makes such a massive difference because if you've got too little, it really affects affects so many things. But one of the main things is the baby's lungs. It's like, say you go scuba diving, you know, you've got that pressure on your body. Yeah. They need that for their lungs to develop properly. And if you have too little, but then if you have too much, yeah, it's, it's, it goes the other way. So that's really tricky. Yeah. So then she was born at 10 pound, eight and a half and... Again, had a big head, and I think I made the right call both times, really, with what happened. Although I would like to experience natural labour, but the risks associated with it and the risks to Elsie and May weren't—they weren't worth it. And I'm glad I had some sense talked into me. Yeah, but you just got to do what you're comfortable with, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's great to know as well. That what was the statistic? Was it four out of five women potentially can? Have a vaginal birth. Uh, three and four. Three yeah. and four, yeah. Because yeah. I would yeah. be very scared. I think I would be worried about, you know, disrupting the scar, like the tissue. Would it, you know, there'd be all 
you heal really quickly. That's the thing. And I think they say to like give it a year before you start trying again for another baby, just in case of that happening. And it might have just been about a year. But within that year, you could barely see my scar from it. It's amazing how quickly you heal. And now you can barely see the scar. Uh, but you do worry about that sort of that tissue happening. And I, I think now they do give you a bit more choice. Like my friend's determined to have a C-section and they are going to do have one. But usually it's only in cases like breech baby or twins or what I had. And even then I had to push a bit towards the end to have one. But yeah. Yeah, you've got definitely got choices. And that's the thing with, I mean, so even with vaginal birth, sometimes the choices aren't presented, but you have options. So the thing that really gets me is induction is normally given as like the next stage in your care that you're just going to be induced. And induction for some people can be really awful or it can be fine. Yeah. But you don't have to accept it. It's presented as the next stage in your care, but it doesn't need to be the next stage in your care. You can refuse it and you can refuse anything that you're not comfortable with or you can push for something that you do want. Yeah. And you totally have choices, but there are essentially hospitals they have statistics they need to keep to so they need to keep to x amount of c-sections x amount of vaginal birth because that's the way it is but that doesn't take into account what women individually want and what they're most comfortable with mm. yeah so it's great great you got what you want yeah that is great big advocate for that So how did you get on afterwards? Did you breastfeed? Did you bottle feed? I found the first experience awful. Basically, I put a lot of pressure on myself to breastfeed and the midwives and the hospital do as I think they do as well. So I was absolutely determined to breastfeed. But having just had a C-section, you don't realise no one prepares you for the pain of like when that when that epidural wears off you're not in a position to I found it hard to maneuver myself like to get around the bed to pick up my baby but the thing is that she was in special care for the night and the first thing she had was a bottle and I didn't get to feed her I could have pushed for it but I think when you're in that state of just having had an operation nothing really prepares you for that and so by the time I could feed her it was quite late in the day. She'd already had quite a lot of bottles and she was a big baby, so she was hungry. And when you have a C-section, your body isn't naturally, I don't think, prepared to produce milk. So they're like, the hospital, like, okay, start hand pumping, start expressing some colostrum. Like nothing was coming out because I think with a C-section, your body isn't necessarily naturally ready to start that journey so by the time I did breastfeed Elsie I felt like it was a bit too late to get my supplies up that said I did feed her for three months until it became apparent that she wasn't gaining weight and it just really upset she didn't gain weight for months there was still like the pressure of breastfeeding but it just wasn't working so I gave up in the end I kind of wish I'd given up before to be honest rather than put that pressure on myself but first time round you just don't know and your hormones are all over the place You've got certain ideals of what you want it to be like, and it doesn't always pan out. Did you get any support for feeding? Yeah, I had a breastfeeding expert come and visit me while I was in hospital. She was great. She told me how to latch. She told me to get her in the right position. 
she was latching fine it was fine I just didn't produce the milk that I wanted to so then I bought like a I tried to express in between feeds and I literally rented a professional pumping expressing kit I hated expressing just again it was just a bit soul-destroying I think with breastfeeding you never know how much the baby is getting and if you think they're getting as much as you're expressing, you're probably wrong because you're expressing probably far less than they would be getting if they were on you, on the breast. And that, again, just a bit of an anxious time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tricky with feeding, with breastfeeding and not knowing how much milk they're getting because there's some really easy ways to tell that they're getting enough. And that's like they're settled between feeds, what's in the nappy, and it's nappy, right? Yeah, it's what's in the nappy and what's settled between feeds. I can't think there's anything else. I think it's top of my head, but people don't tell you what to look for. I think you would know if your baby seemed hungry, if they weren't settling and if they didn't have anything in their nappy. I feel like you would know. And I thought I did know. But the only reason I didn't know was because she didn't put on weight for a month. Yeah. Oh, sorry, the live one's weight. Sorry. That's the one. Sorry. <laughs> Major one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, but that then, so if you think that, she's getting enough and then she's not putting on weight that just throws everything it's undermining it's really tricky it's really tricky because it is true bottles show you exactly what they're getting so you know exactly what they're getting I think it's just a hard one isn't it and I think that yeah. you do put a lot of pressure on yourself to do things and so I definitely put on a lot of pressure and I do think it would be nice if they did it in more of a supportive sense. A lot of the time, like on the antenatal classes, you get, well, it reduces your risk of breast cancer. It like They sell you all the benefits of it. And it just, I don't know, I think, as you know, my mum passed away of breast cancer and I was bottle fed. It's just quite a hard thing to hear without the support. And you don't want to think you're failing your baby because you're bottle feeding them because you're absolutely not. And I think that mums need to know that it's okay if they do want to bottle feed their baby that there's the important thing is that their baby's healthy but also the mum's mental health counts too and not having that pressure put on you from somebody else is entirely unhelpful yeah exactly it's of course a pressure to do the right thing but actually the right thing is to do what you're most comfortable with and what you want to do yeah and if it's something you want to do and you can, then just get the support because there's support out there for sure. You provided it, so that's good. Yeah. So I had trouble for the first five days with breastfeeding yeah. and really struggled with it. But then when it clicked, I was fine yeah. and I was off. But if I think, if I had struggled for weeks on end, I would have seriously probably dropped it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it was like I had a few days and then it was fixed and then I was great. But if I had struggled week on week, then definitely I would have considered doing something different. The tricky thing is, is that we're often told that formula is easier, but it comes with its own challenges as well. And I think it's so complex around like, even if you wanted to breastfeed and then you feel like you can't and there's a sense of failure there and all that stuff that comes with it. It's really hard. Yeah. It is. No matter what, your baby has to be fed milk, no matter what milk it is, for X amount of months. So six months, ideally, you know, until they move on to solids. Yeah. If you pick breast or formula, they're both difficult. They both have challenges. Yeah, they both have their pros and cons. Yeah, totally. 
So yeah, it's a really hard one, but you do you, right? Absolutely, yeah. Exactly. That must be very stressful on top of the kind of lack of sleep as well. I'm just thinking about what I can feel like when I have no sleep. Yeah. And adding extra stress on. Yeah, I think the whole thing was really stressful first time round. I think it, I don't know, I just found the whole thing stressful. Now she's like six and you wouldn't even like to would anyone know or care whether she had <laughs> or she didn't gain weight for a month? And, but um, health visitors do not help a lot of the time. I found that quite stressful. Mm. Yeah, okay. I found it quite lonely in the first few months with Elsie because I didn't really have many friends that had babies. So you kind of want to share your problems and talk to other people. And I didn't really have that in the early days. And I'm quite a chilled, like, sociable person. So to feel, like, a bit lonely and down, you know, it was quite hard. But we're fine now. And then you meet mum mates. And I kind of accepted that she wasn't going to be a breastfed baby. But I thought, well, do you know what? Even if she hasn't put on weight for the last month, she was at first. So she kind of got all the goodness for the first couple of months. So I was happy with that and came to terms with it. And it was all good. So what did the health visitors do that wasn't helpful? I just think they're quite judgy. <laughs> they're mm. quite judgy. A lot of the time they don't have babies, which is, you know, absolutely fine. You've got a job to do. But I think it's quite hard to hear as a new mum, like the judgment. And also they told me that her fontanelle had closed and that she could potentially be brain damaged. So it's just throwing out this information, just expecting you to just deal with it. Just like throw you a curveball. It's those plates on the top of the baby's head. Um, Your soft spot. You know, yeah. babies have soft plates on the top of the head. And they go, they move over each other when they're going through the birth canal. That's why that's why it exists, so that they can go through the birth canal. But they're open for like the first year, aren't they? But that is not something that a health visitor is qualified to tell you. That's a doctor that should tell you that. No. It's hard because they were like, I think you want to get it checked out. But I think this is what's happened. Did you kind of rather... They didn't say, I think this is what's happened because you go home and Google, don't you? And you read all sorts. And I think one of the health visitors said, well, your blinds are unsafe and you need to like tie the, the ropes up and things like Like, I just felt like they're coming in and judging your house. But of course they have to do it because there's so many safeguarding issues out there. And I do understand that. Oh, but come on, like yeah. what's a, is a newborn going to get wrapped up in your blind cord? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be amazed. Be like Sue, Spider-Man, Spider-Baby. I would, exactly. Spider-Baby. <laughs> so what happened with May with feeding? Was it any different? No, it was amazing. She didn't go to special care, and I think that's what made all the difference. It was the hardest thing where the first night I had her, she was on me literally every 15, 20 minutes because she was like, she was big so she was hungry oh. and I remember the midwives coming around in the middle of the night being like you still feeding that baby <laughs> I'm like yeah and I'm shattered but we're gonna do it and we did I think it just made all the difference having her with me because your body knows to get your supplies up and she clearly did that and I yeah I fed her for seven months so it was good wow yeah yeah, totally different. It's, you know what, that's so true around being together. Yeah. It does make such a massive difference. Such difference. Oh, it's a huge difference. You Basically, your body doesn't get the message. A, with a C-section, doesn't get the message that baby's been born and milk is needed. It takes a few days for that to yeah. happen. But then on top of that, if you're separated, that's so much harder because you've not got the baby with you. 
And if they've started, and they've already started formula feeding her in special care, stretched her stomach out, so she, it's just didn't plan out. But with May, it was a complete different story, like hard work at first, but actually worth it. And I found breastfeeding easier in the sense that you don't have to take anything with you when you go out, when you go on holiday. It is a lot easier in that respect. So, yeah. yeah. It's milk on the go. Exactly. Literally milk on the go. It's ready to go wherever you are. But that's the thing with formula. Formula is, I think, do whatever you want to do in terms of feeding, whatever you're comfortable with. But, well, women are often told, oh, just use formula. It's easier. It's definitely not. You have to prep so much. You have to take bottles with you. You have to sterilize yeah. them. Think about in the middle of the night. You're getting up in the middle of the night to feed your baby. You have to go downstairs, heat up a bottle, wait for it to cool down. By the time your baby's been fed, you're both awake. Whereas breastfeeding gets you good to sleep. Yeah. I had a clever little perfect prep machine. That was a a godsend for prepping bottles. So it like puts in the right amount of hot water, cold water. It's great. But when you're on the go, you literally have to take a flask out and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So pros and cons to both, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So our final question, Vicky, is... If you could give one piece of advice or share one piece of wisdom with a new mum coming up the ranks, what would it be? I share this advice a lot in class, which is everything is a phase. That's the best bit of advice because you will go through regressions, milestones, sleep regressions, like all kinds of things, but they will never last forever. It is literally a phase and then... You may move on to a harder phase, but it's something different. So, yeah, if you've got, like, massive commonality in all my classes, is this four-month sleep regression, it's a phase. It is a phase. You just have to tell yourself that, and every day is a new day. Real Birth Stories is brought to you by Butterbean, the online platform for parents and parents-to-be. If you'd like to find out more, then head to butterbean.uk or follow us on Instagram and Facebook under the name butterbean.uk. We are currently looking for inspiring women to be on series two of the podcast. If you'd like to tell your story and help other women ahead of entering into motherhood, then email us at podcast at butterbean.uk. We would love to hear from you and hear your birth story.